we turn back to uh, our passage, Matthew chapter 6, uh, the Lord is prayer, verse 5, <clears throat> all your way to verse 14. So today we are going to be looking at verse 11 to verse 13. Last week we looked at verse 10, verse 9b and verse 10 to remind ourselves what does it mean when we pray, Lord be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just a quick reminder, when we talk about, you know, hallowed be your name, we are praying that the name of God may be glorified amongst us as his own people. That the life we live would honor God. That we don't just say, hallowed be your name to the others, to them. We are thinking about our own souls. We are thinking about ourselves as a church, as those who call upon the name of the Lord. How are we living our lives in honoring Christ? But then that's also is Bastena attached to that, that the way also the name of God is honored is that if his kingdom continues to expand all over the world, and how does the kingdom of God expand all over the world? It's through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as many hear that gospel and come to the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to Christ, as one verse here in Romans, Paul would remind us about this gospel, the fruit of the gospel as it is preached to all over, all, all over the world, uh, Paul would say this in Romans 6, especially from verse 5. He said, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who, called, who are called to, be, to belong to Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God comes as the gospel is proclaimed and as many receive that gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that is done, the kingdom is not spreading. But one thing we are assured of, praise be to God. Even today, the kingdom of God is expanding. We might not be seeing it with our naked eyes. We might be thinking about a few of us sitting here. We might be thinking about a few we know somewhere meeting. But the truth is, all over the world, as Jesus would say in Mark 14, actually in Matthew 24, that the end will not come until the gospel of Jesus Christ has reached all the nations. And in these feeble works of God's people, a missionary goes to a particular place, an evangelist goes to minister to a few people, the pastor does shepherding in the pulpit, the gospel is spreading. The kingdom is being built. Hearts are being encouraged. Christians are being are honoring God through the gospel. And in that way, God is building his church. As Jesus reminds us in Matthew 16, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. But also remember, we said, <clears throat> this kingdom is coming on earth, not in heaven. Because he says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, the will of God in heaven is what? Perfection, holiness, majesty. Every creature in heaven, in Revelation 4, bows down to God. God is the king and he reigns and he rules over all things. And the Bible is telling us the way heaven bows to God is the way God wants the earth to bow to him. In other words, people will believe in Jesus in this world, not in heaven. No one should wait for a day to die. And then you think after you have died, then we will be taken to heaven as the Catholic Church does teach about purgatory. That you will die, you go to purgatory, as your relatives continue giving faithfully, then your soul will remove from purgatory all your way to heaven. That's a lie. 
Jesus reminds us in Luke, there are only two ways. One narrow way that leads to eternal life and a wide and broad way that leads to eternal condemnation. So the gospel is preached in this world. It should be obeyed in this world. The moment you close your eyes in death, if you have not believed in Jesus, you are going to hell. Let nobody deceive you that there is a place you will go to and God will have favor on you. No way. The moment a Christian closes his eyes in death in this world, his soul is taken to eternity to be where Christ Jesus is. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us, today is the day for salvation. Not tomorrow. Today is the day for salvation. We talked about the will of God. What is the will of God? We looked at John chapter 6 from verse 28. And, and actually John 6 has this much Jesus talks about the will. And Jesus says the will of God is one that men may believe in Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. And Jesus talks about it in John chapter 6 from verse 38. And he says, I have not come to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And he says, the will of him who sent me is that I lose none of whom he has given me. And it's so clear that in John chapter 6, verse 28, 29 and 30, Jesus says, the will is that we believe in Christ Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the will of God is what? Is that we are sanctified. We flee sin. We flee sexual immorality, lies. We are become like Jesus himself. It's God's will that his people be holy as he is holy. So God wills that we get saved, but it doesn't end there. He wills also that we are sanctified and we become, be like Jesus Christ himself. So today we let's look at verse 11 and 12, which reads, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These three verses have a lot in them. A lot. And we're not going to deal with everything. But... One particular thing if you are going to take home, the emphasis in these three verses is what? Is this. God's children depend on God. God's children, whom they call the Father, the children of the Heavenly Father, depend on their Father. They don't depend on themselves. They don't depend on their cleverness, on their experience. They don't depend on their own wisdom. They don't depend on what they know to be right or wrong. They depend entirely to their father. Three points that we are going to look at. One, they are dependent upon their father for their daily provision. Secondly, they are dependent upon their father on their daily sanctification. And then lastly, we are going to see they are dependent upon their father for their spiritual safety. Very important that the children of God depend upon their father for their daily provision, for their daily sanctification, and for their daily spiritual safety. 
that in all these three aspects that we are given in these passages, God is children, their refugee is their father, their defender is their father, their provider is their father. They trust him morning, day, and evening. They run to him in need, but also they have confidence that when he holds them, they are safe and secure in their own hands, in his own hands. So let us look at the first bit. We, as God's children, are dependent upon our Father for our daily provision. And that's the point he makes in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now when you read this, it is easy for us in our daily life to wake up in the morning. Because you are in a hurry and you say, oh, the Lord's prayer will work. Our Father what in heaven, quickly, one minute, thank you, I'm gone. Amen. If it's a sincere prayer from your heart, Amen. But the truth is also that we may not be praying this way all, all over the time. What Jesus is giving us here is a model to lead us how we should pray. One thing we want to see is this. That in our provision, two things are given in these passages. Luke, he says, give us, and then he finishes by reminding us, our daily. In other words, the prayer is plural. This is not an, an individual thing alone. The prayer goes beyond me and also thinks about other children of God. But in these two things, we are reminded, one, that we are dependent upon God as his children. Give us. If he doesn't give, we will not receive. But then he says, our daily bread. Then meaning that, as he gives us, he's not giving to me alone. He's also giving to all of us as God's people. And we are going to see how this really works. Because when God gives me, he's not giving me alone, but also he's calling me to use my resources in meeting the needs of other brothers and sisters who are needy. That God positions me to receive certain blessings, to receive my food every day. And in many times, he's going to give me even more. Why? That when I say our, I'm also reaching out to other fellow Christians who are in need. It's not me alone. Christians are not consumerists as what the world is today. Unfortunately, many Christians have become the same. Everything's about me and me and me. We forget that yes, I'm in need, they also another Christian in need. I'm depending on God, other fellow Christians depending on who? On God. The book of Exodus 16 is a very good book. Chapter that reminds us of God's care for his people. In Exodus 16, the children of Israel, what they want is meat. They want food to eat. The Lord rains manna. They pick every morning to eat. And the Lord reminds them, on the Sabbath, don't pick what? Twice. You know, on Sabbath day, pick twice. But every day, pick once. And those who picked twice on every day, the food went bad. Exposing the heart of a man. Consumerists. We want everything on ourselves. Even after God telling them, if you pick it, it will go wrong. 
and it went wrong, but they kept taking more than they needed. It's the heart of a man. Everything centers around you. You think that God who has provided for you today, he will not be able to provide for you tomorrow. So what do they do? Acquire for myself even that which you don't need. I remember there's this guy, I think it was Piero Rumumba, who was put as the chairman of the anti-corruption thing some time back. And he said, it is very amazing in Kenya, somebody, somebody buys chickens today. They are hatching chickens. But after one week, those chickens, they have become what? Cows. Phrases which you can milk, isn't it? Basically, he was saying, people are taking more than what they don't want. They need. And he said, if we can do an equitable division of resources, we can all have enough, including the poorest in this country, to have every day without relying on anyone. But the heart of a man is always about what? I must have it and have it as much as possible for myself. As people, sometimes they quote this, they say, every man for himself and God for all of us, isn't it? Do you know what they mean? They are just literally saying, I will grab as much as I, I need. Because it's God who has given the opportunity to do what? To grab. It's not God. Now, we want to, 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 to think or to ask ourselves, what does it mean when we ask God, give us our daily bread? What does it mean practically to pray this prayer? Give us our daily bread. One, it means, as Second Thessalonians reminds us, uh, 3, 10, 3, 10 and 11, it means, one, we ask for work. We are asking God to give us work. Why? Because work is the primary way that God provides for his people. Paul says in Second Thessalonians 3, 10, a man who does not work, let him not eat. Christians think you can wake up in the morning, pray to God, refuse to work, and then God will throw manna as he thrown it in the wilderness. You will eat and then continue sleeping, do nothing. Some of those today, in the name of fasting and prayer, Christians have become lazy. People some going to the prayer mountain to pray for a week. They don't have rent. They don't have food to eat. But they are saying, by the time I come from the prayer mountain, God will have paid the rent for me. It won't happen. You must work. Work is noble. It's a good thing. In Genesis 1, God tells Adam to have dominion, multiply. That is work. Adam was not put in Eden to sit around and do nothing and just pluck uh, fruits from the trees and eat. In Genesis 2.15, he says what? Till the land, work the land. Take care of the garden that it may continue to produce much for you. It's unfortunately that today people think there are certain kinds of work I shouldn't do and another I should do. Fair enough. Depends on how you describe work. Stealing is not work. It's stealing. But the thing is, 
we, got, we have come to this point to think hard work is not a gift from God. Kukukwa mtu wa mujengo, iyo si kazi. Kulima, iyo si kazi. And we think we all want white collar jobs. Because we think the blessed man, the man who has the Holy Spirit in him, is a man who puts on a tie and sits in the office. That's a man blessed by God. The man at the Mujengo site is a cast. Because he's doing a Mujengo. The watchman is a cast and he needs to be delivered from being a watchman. That is wrong thinking. It's not biblical. God primarily provides to us through work. And I'm happy and joyful in this church. We have men who work. They are hard workers. They work tirelessly. They don't find their identity in work. But they put their hands at work. They are not lazy. Laziness is a sin. I always tell myself this. Sometimes back, when I used to work on streets in Nairobi, I would find these people who are begging. And they tell you they are begging. Oh, another, another saying is he's sick. I used to give a lot. I used to feel if I don't give, God will do something bad to me. But, but as I continue to grow in Christianity, I said I won't give. And I don't give even today. I don't. Hata watu, mtu anakuja na mtu, anapita kwa gari hivi, na ameshikiria mtu na kikombe. Sipeani? Kwa sababu gani? Wewe mwenye natembeza huyo mtu, edo kafanya kazo kamulishe. That's noble. That's noble. We, the world has taught us, through you when, we can sit back, relax, write things, pretend you are a refugee, pretend somebody is, is chasing you, uh, uh, apply for asylum. Why? Because you and is teaching us we can give you free things. Don't worry. You just sit back. We will give you what you want. That is not godly. A Christian who sits around waiting to be fed and you have hands, you have legs, you have a sober mind, you are sinning. Go get work and work. It is the will of God that we work. Why? In 1 Timothy 5, 8, the Bible says this. A man who cannot provide for his immediate family is worse than a non-believer. A man who cannot feed his wife who cannot feed his children, he has denied the faith if he says he's a Christian. That's what Paul says. Remember, this doesn't say a man who does not earn this kind of money. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible says a man who can't feed. And this is a man who doesn't work, doesn't want to do what? To work. He's a lazy man. He has denied the faith if he professes to be a Christian. Because, why? Because God provides us work as a means of feeding my immediate family. If a man gets 10,000 and is a hard worker, you cannot say this man is not feeding his family. A wife cannot complain to the man that you are not feeding me. The Bible says you, you, are, you have denied the faith. No! He's earning 10,000. Work through your budgets. 
and you live on that money that God gives you. Today, people understand this verse by saying, it's the amount of money that I want to earn. I want my wife to earn. I want my husband to be earning. That's not what the Bible is saying. As I walk around Nakuru here, I think I've found many people, I've talked to many people, some people are earning 5,000 a month. Some are earning 10,000 a month. And they are, they, are, they are struggling. It's a struggle. But they are faithful to take care of their families. They are faithful to take care of their families. There are people who are earning 50. But they are still saying, that's not enough. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 6. He says, those who have desired to get rich, they have plunged themselves with all manner of what? Pangs of sorrows. Sometimes people get loans, not necessarily because they want to build or to invest. Some of them, they just want to keep money in the pocket or to live a life that they cannot afford. And then they run from this city. We shall go because our attack Kushikwa. Now, KRI, it will, be a, it will be bad for KRI to come to you as a Christian. It will be bad. You are not, your, your testimony is bad about Jesus. Work also is a means by which we provide for our families and also for our relatives. But also, in Galatians 6, Ephesians 4.28, Leviticus 19, work is a means by which the Lord uses us to reach towards the needy of those, the needs of those who are needy. In Leviticus 19, the Lord had a law which is quoted again, Deuteronomy, quoted again Leviticus 23, where God told the Israelites, when you plant gardens and you harvest, intentionally leave things in your gardens for the poor to come and pick. Don't harvest everything and take it out. Leave some. When the poor come to pick, don't say no. Leave them to pick. And we see that well in the story of Boaz. Was it Boaz? Yeah, Boaz and uh, Ruth. Where Boaz tells his servants, please leave things for her to pick. Because that was a law. Why? Because God cares about the poor. God cares about the poor. Jesus reminds us in John, the poor will always be with you. When oil is poured upon Jesus, is, uh, when poured upon Jesus by this lady, uh, and Judas, who was a thief, the Bible says so, t complains and he says, this is too much oil, too much expensive. It would have been sold and helped the poor. Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. So God provides us work that we may also be able to provide for our poor, needy brothers and sisters. But also, God uses work as a means by which we are able to give tithe, our tithe and offering that the work of the Lord may also continue. That we give to the church, as we give to the church, we are giving to the Lord's work. Or we are giving to the Lord himself. 
We have never found, I always say, people sometimes complain, why should I give too much? As if you have ever found God saying, I don't have food to eat. If we, do, if we are mission as a church, we do that also in our own giving. That we give that the gospel of Jesus may continue to be heard in all nations and all languages. Ephesians 2.10, we are reminded we are created in Christ again. We are created, we are created in Christ to do good works. Which Jesus himself in Acts 10.38, we are reminded he went around doing good. These good works are those that we can count as even helping out our needy brothers and sisters. Galatians says, Galatians 6, 9 to 10, do good to all, especially those in the house of faith. In other words, if I'm doing good to people, those who are professed to be Christians should be my priority. If I have my blood brother and I have my Christian brother and they are both hungry, they need food, whom should I consider first? The Bible says, consider your Christian brother, not your blood brother. You can use wisdom and say, if it's a thousand, I will give my blood brother 500, give him 500. Fair enough. But you cannot say, wewe si ndugu yangu, jipange uko. Wacha katafute ndugu yangu, blood brother. If your blood brother is a Christian, amen. If he is not, the Lord says, consider one who is a Christian. We are going to enjoy heaven together. And that heaven, God, by the grace of God, he gives us the glimpse to enjoy it here. To start enjoying it here. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray, one, Lord, provide work for us. Because that's the main way God provides for his people. Secondly, we are praying God be generous to those in need amongst us. We are crying out to God. We know there are brothers and sisters who don't have food. Oh Lord, in your mercies, may you provide for them wherever they, they are. We are pleading on their behalf. Thirdly also, we are crying to God, give us opportunities open our eyes to see the needy that we may reach out with that which you have given to us. And this is the difficult part, brothers and sisters. This is the difficult part to all of us. We don't pray for those opportunities. Why? Because they mean spending. You don't ask God, give me the opportunity to feed my brother in Christ. Why? Because you know that means but we must pray for that. We must pray that God may provide work for those who are seeking jobs. Because if, if God gives us through work, then it's very important that people may be able to work. But also we are praying that God may prosper, may increase the work and bless the work of those who are working. We are saying, Lord, Keep that work for the brother that may not go away. Lord, even if it's promotion, promote that brother. If it's business, Lord, give that brother more business. Don't be jealous. Don't feel jealous. That brother is working, he's getting much money. If he's working well and getting it honorably, praise be to God. The problem with humanity is jealousy. 
Some of us, even you want to pray, that brother may not prosper. Yo kazi yake anguke. Why? Kwa sababu ndiyo tufanane na enye. Ita kusaidia nini? Ekiwa ya alikuwa na kusaidia katupitia kwa yo kazi. Nekiisha, uombe ishe, mutasaidikaje wa wili. We got to come out from that, those childish thinking and grow and rejoice with the brothers when we see a brother amepata kazi tushangilie na tuambie Mungu asante sana tukisikia brother amekuwa promoted kwa kazi yake usianze kusema wololololo huyo sasa atatukanyaga jua vichwa hapana rejoice rejoice don't be bitter don't be angry don't be jealous don't feel jealous about that As I remind you about work, remember, I want to encourage all of us here. Let all of us be faithful to where God has placed you to work. Be faithful. He's the one who has given you that job. He can pluck it away. That job he has given you that you may glorify him. Not only being faithful at work, but also using those resources for the glory and honor of God. If he has given you much, he's calling you to give more. If he has given you less, he's calling you also to give from that less. Don't say, sita peana mini kona kidogo. Akuna mtu akona kidogo, kila mtu akona kitu ya kupeana. Tusiwe stingy, cross-fisted people. We joke and we say, kuna watu pesawe onangi nini? Jua, sindio? Unangijua Sabu kuna watu ambao Wako tayari kupokea lakini kutoa Ni bala Well the Bible remind us Blessed are those who Give more than those who do what Receive Let's Be ready to be used by the Lord To provide for brothers and sisters But also to promote The gospel Secondly He says in verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven <coughs> our debtors. And the second point is, we are dependent upon our Father for our sanctification. We are dependent upon our Father for our sanctification. <coughs> John writing in 1 John from verse 5, John says this, in from 1 John verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John is speaking to Christians. And the main point John is making here is what? You as a Christian, being indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are not perfect. You are not perfect. 
you keep on in your day-to-day life, in your thoughts, in the things you see, in the things you plan, in your deeds, you sin against God. And so he's saying, if you say you don't have sin, you make God who? A liar. And the truth is not in you. Why? When you say you don't have sin, you are denying the work of sanctification, which is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Why would God sanctify you if you are perfect? There are two ends. One end says we are perfect, we have no sin at all. The other end says also we have sin and still powerful in us. The answer is no. We are still indwelt by sin, but he has no power over us. The spirit who dwells in us keeps us, he strengthens us to continue fight this war. And so when he says, forgive us our debts, he's calling us to a continual life of repentance. That what, what makes a Christian is the great understanding is, I am not perfect. I know I am not perfect. I know the sins I'm dealing with. I know the battles that are going on in my own heart and life. That's a Christian who is alive, is not dead. He knows he's in Jesus. He has been saved. The Spirit of God dwells in him, but also he knows that in him there's the nature of sin troubling him, causing him to fail, pulling him left and right, and in many cases he fails God. The Bible gives us three enemies we face as Christians. And the first enemy is your own self. Your flesh. Galatians 5 from verse 19. Your own flesh is your greatest enemy. But also John offers us in 1 John 2. The world that keeps dazzling its things before us. It keeps presenting its good things to us. It keeps telling us, come and enjoy. It keeps showing us these nice things. And the world is saying, what is the, sh- what is the trouble? What's bad about sharing this? The world will tell you, what's wrong with the company of these people? See how they're enjoying themselves. Why don't you hang out with them? What's wrong with hanging out with them in a bar? They're just taking wine. You'll be taking soda. That's how the devil deceives people. The world keeps pulling us with its things. People want to live large. The world tells you there's a nice phone. You can buy that phone. You find somebody has a phone, but always when he meets phones, he wants a phone. The world telling you there's always something better than what you have. The world tells you what you have in Jesus Please, that's shameful. There's something better I can offer you. That's what Jesus was tempted to be offered by the devil when he told him, I will give you all this world if you bow down and worship me. In Ephesians 6, Paul also reminds us we have the devil himself as the enemy. He reminds us of this in Ephesians 6. Let's read there. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 from verse 10. Paul uses these words to refer to the devil. 
He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You have your flesh, you have the world, you have the schema. The devil is more clever than you. This word schema is the same word used in Genesis 3. The devil was, the serpent was more or very what? Cunning. The devil is, knows how to tempt each and all of us here. He knows. He knows. He's not a fool. He knows the weaknesses you have. He knows how he can lead you down the path of sin. So whom do we rely on to say no? The practical way for us to yield to the sanctification work of the Lord is one, we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Paul says in Galatians 5, he uses these words in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How will you continue to be sanctified? How will you continue to conquer sin in your lives? Paul says, yield to the work of the Spirit. Give yourself to what the Spirit is doing in your life. What is the Spirit doing in your life? Colossians 3. What is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is leading you to put off sin and put on righteousness. The Spirit is leading you to kill sin in your life and live for Jesus. And he's doing all this work not on passive Christians, but active Christians who read their Bibles, pray, and give themselves to good groups of Christian people. You will not fight the devil and win if you constantly are giving yourself to groups of people who are not believers. If you don't read God's word, you are lazy. If you don't pray, how is the work of sanctification taking place in your life? You can't. And that's where many Christians, they have been babies for 50, 20, 30, 10 years. The one of the marks of a Christian is <clears throat> they love the gathering or being together with God's people. That's a great mark of Christians. They want to spend time with God's people. Why? Because they know they are. They are in that group of people. They might be poor. They might be uh, not educated. They know there is God. The Spirit of God is at work among such. They know that is where sanctification takes place. That's where meaningful discussions about the gospel take place. That's where growth is. But unfortunately, some Christians want to spend time with non-believers. What does Paul warn us about such company in 1 Corinthians? He says, bad company corrupts good morals. Keep them, but they will lead you into sin. 
And as you stray from them, they will call you names. You will be rejected. You will be called an old guy. You will be called, excuse me, digital nanini. Eh? Na analog. You'll be given all those names. You'll be told you don't think well. You are running after something which is not real. Sometimes even today, <clears throat> young ladies who want to get married, they say what? I need a guy who is a bit active. Who is a bit active. He takes me out in a bar at least we can sit and see how people in a bar behave. You know, he, he, he takes me to, I need to see the, the friends of this guy. I need to see how they behave. I need to see their driving big, you know. Some ladies, <coughs> they say, Christian guys are boring. Every, every day, what do you think about this verse? Every time you meet, do you think the Lord, what is the Lord trying to say? How, how do you define that verse? And they're like, no, I get bored with it. They don't like that. They want a guy who tells him, who promises an ocean which he, he never even created. Who promises the star and the moon where he has never been. They need those people to lie to them. And even some Christian girls have become liars sometimes. I will die for you as Jesus died for us. They say that, but in the moment, askia tu risasi tuwe mepiga hapa. Ndiyo utajua hila likuwa na kwambia ni uongo. Hata kufa na wewe. Sometimes I watch these just for laughs. I like to enjoy them. And one, one of the things we always laugh so much with my wife, a boyfriend is with a girlfriend. They are walking, you know, they are going somewhere. And then, here comes a guy pretending to be a scarecrow. The way they leave each other, no one knows. And the, the man is always the first one. So he leaves the girl, he reaches there, then he looks back. I know, I see Rudy Wuko. So sometimes people are unrealistic, even during courtships. Saying words just to pamper somebody's ego. Saying words just to please that person. I'm going to get a box, isn't it? Actually, I'm a box, bus. That's what I'm doing an attack. And some of the things I always <coughs> tell people when they are courting be yourself. Don't pretend. Be yourself. Sometimes your dad at Wakenda out, chips at Anadunga Mbiri Tatu Amewacha. Akena Nyuman. Atstaki ujamani yone na kulanga sana. Kula. Kula ndi ajue unga ya kilombile takuwe na isha. Nesikumbi. Nesikumbi. Ndi ajipangi kama kotari kukuwa ama pana. Sindio? Wanaume nao. Sikuizo na joa. Na joa si. Wale wazamano likuwa na kulu na kula kabisa. Sindio wajibenji. When you go out. Atu wakiwana na wachawacho na mwambia leta tu Leta tu Pesa angwa hita isha stahiri Sikuizi pia wamejifanya sana People are not realistic Why? Because we want to We want to pretend 
that we are certain kind of human beings whom we are not. We are sinners struggling with sin, with bad manners in our own lives, bad behaviors. We don't want to come around and you promise somebody who you are not. And then that's why when they reach there in marriage, problems start from day one. Aliniambia ako hivi. Na mimi nimeona ako hivi. Pastor unatafutwa. We are sinners. We are saved by grace. Christ indwells us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we are still sin dwells in us. We battle with this sin every day. In your bed, your minds are wandering everywhere. Even now when we are praying, it comes to you. Your sin reminds you. You don't concentrate. Paka unda kuuliza huyu mtu ameomba sana leo kwa nini? Saombe pole. Yeye masaa mingi amechukua. Why because your mind is is flying all over. And Jesus is saying here, who is going to help us kill such behaviors? It is God himself. It is the spirit that indwells in us. So when we pray and we tell the Lord, we are also reminding him that you have forgiven us of our sins, Father. We are also reminding the Father that we, he would give us the same attitude to forgive other people. It's saddening that Christians keep grudges. Look at what he says. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's not saying your basis to be forgiven is if you forgive, forgive others. He's not saying that. He's not saying you become a Christian by forgiving people of their wrongdoing. No. But he's saying a Christian who has been saved, he will imitate his father by forgiving others as he has been forgiven. That's another mark of Christianity. Who is a Christian? A Christian is a person who forgives other fellow Christians. You cannot say this is a brother in the Lord, yet you are bitter, you are angry, you cannot talk, you cannot see him at Nikimora Naskia Kutapika. Which heaven are you going to with that person? Where are you going to with that person? That's not Christianity at all. And I want to encourage you, if you have a grudge with a brother, settle it. Seek peace. The writer of the Hebrews reminds us in chapter 14, 12, seek peace with all men. People don't want to forgive because we are self-centered. It's me. Who are you to do this to me? How much have you done to God and he has forgiven you? How much? And he has not forgiven you in empty words. He has provided his own son. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's not dying for one, two, three sins. He's dying for all your sins today, today, yesterday, and in the future. All of them, Jesus pays for them. The sins you do willingly, Jesus has paid for them. How much more? Why don't you forgive? And then lastly, we depend upon our Father for our spiritual safety. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from there. Evil one. Oh, we are telling God, Father, we are aware, very much aware of the danger our souls are in. We are very much aware the schema and his schemes are to drain our spiritual life 
is to draw us back into sin. Father, we are aware he's powerful than we are. But you are all powerful than this schema. We are telling the Father, we know without you, we can't make it. We can't make it to heaven without you. That's what we are telling the Father. And it is in reality. None of us can make his way to heaven. If God doesn't keep you. So our prayer is always to tell God, keep us in salvation. That we may not draw back. Keep us saved. We have these promises in the Bible, John 10, 29. We are firmly held in the hands of the Father. And no one can snatch us out of the hands of the Father. And we are holding on to that, praying to the Father, keep us faithful to you. And the only person who can help us to deal with the devil is Jesus. Colossians 1, he has dealt with the devil at the cross. He has won the battle. He came from that cross victorious. We don't need to find means by which we should fight the devil and win. Jesus has done that for us. It's finished. That's what he says on the cross. He has done it. You can't do it. So our hope, our confidence is in the work of Jesus Christ. We approach God in that confidence that he has begun a good work in us. He will surely bring it to pass. No soul that Jesus died for will enter hell. It will enter heaven on the basis of what Jesus has done at Calvary. So these prayers, people pray, they carry the devil to, to Lake Victoria, and they remove him there, they carry him to Mombasa. They find every simple river to put him in. Those are nonsense. People have boxed walls that they are boxing the devil. That's nonsense. That's paganism. The devil laughs when people are doing such things. I bind you. You have these prayers. I bind you. Today you bind him. After two minutes he's losing. You bind him again, he's losing. If it was by your power to bind him, I tell you, my friend, you'll be in problems. You'll be in problems. The devil is strong, but we have a great and an almighty sovereign God who has overpowered him and he has rescued our souls from the kingdom of the devil into the kingdom of his own son. We hold on this great truth that in our prayer, God, it's you who safeguards us. It's you who is watching over our souls. It's you, Lord, to whom we have committed all our lives. That you, God, you are at work in us. When Paul says in Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, when he says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is because God is in you. He's keeping you. The devil can't steal your soul from God. And that's why in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, we have been given the Holy Spirit. Why? The Bible says he's the first down payment as an assurance from God that the work he has started by serving you, he will accomplish it. You will enter heaven. Why? Because Jesus died and God has given you the Holy Spirit. You will enter heaven. If it was not so, David would be in hell by now because of the sin of stealing somebody's wife and killing the husband. 
If it was not so, Peter would be in hell. But praise be to God, who is the captain of our salvation. When Peter is told, you will deny me, he says, no way. Jesus says, I've already prayed for you. What a confidence. I've already prayed for you, Peter. You will deny me, but you are mine. When David prays and says, Nathan, for forgiveness, Nathan says what? You have already been forgiven. Your soul is safe with God. Does that mean I'll continue in sin? No. David is told, because of your sin, the sword will not leave your house. There are consequences of sin. You don't say, now I'm saved by grace. Let me live the way I want. Jude says, if you do that, you are using the grace of God as a license to commit sin. And John would say, you are not a believer. If you say, you can sin and uh, because I've been forgiven, you are still in your own sin. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. You might be here seated and you are thinking, what is this thing called your salvation? What's it all about? It's not about me, me saying and me doing. What's it all about? The answer I give you is, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The only thing you can do about salvation is to bring your sins to Jesus. That's the only work you can do. But you cannot bring anything to make you saved. Bring your sins to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Jesus is willing to forgive you. Now, if you pray to him, he says in John 6, no one will come to me that I will surely cast away. If we are going to pray this prayer effectively and pray with confidence in trusting God, then we must be found in Jesus. We must be those who follow Christ, love Jesus, want Jesus. Our zeal is burning for Christ. And for those of us who are believers, hold on to that which God has given you. There's nothing much precious in this world than salvation. Nothing. It cannot be traded with anything else. Not the money you want. Not the career you want to achieve. Not the wife or the husband you want. Nothing can be traded with salvation. Jesus is enough. He's our treasure. He's our prize. He's everything. If you have him, you have everything, brother and sister. You have everything. Let's pray. can we go? Lord, you have given us all the means to sustain us in this world. You have given us your son who has come into this world. He has died for our sins. We are your children. Not on the merit of anything good we have done, Lord. 
but because of what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. Lord, that we may have such confidence. If you have given us your son as Romans 8, 32 reminds us, what else, Lord, would you deny us, Lord? What else that is good for our lives and for our stay in this world? Lord, help us that we would not trust in ourselves at all. Neither in the things that you have given us. That our eyes will continually look to Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Our confidence will be in Jesus. Lord, we pray for those who are here and they are not believers. Oh Lord, they have heard your word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Jesus. Open their hearts, Father, that you may draw them to your Son for the forgiveness of sin. We pray for their souls, Lord, that their being here today may not be a waste of time. Lord, that they may not rest until they have run to Jesus. For those of us who are believers that would live in thankfulness, in thankfulness, Lord, for Jesus, in thankfulness for the Spirit who indwells us, in thankfulness, Lord, that though today we may feel that we are about to be defeated by sin, oh, Lord, you have told us victory is ours. Although we may look feeble, may look tired might be even thinking of giving up and thinking this particular sin can't go away may we know it's the means by which you are sanctifying us Lord that we may not give up on Jesus give up on one another oh Lord we pray that you be exalted amongst us Every day, every time, wherever we are, Christ will be all and in all for us. In his name we do pray. Amen. <clears throat>